God, we thank you for uh, all the opportunities you've provided for us to serve you, not only here in Oakland and in our neighborhood, but also abroad. Dave and Haiti and uh, a team going to Nakuru, Kenya, and also to Cambodia this year. Pray, Lord, for provision for all of that, and also when those people go out there and uh, minister in the name of Jesus, that they would also be affected and, and bring back something to us where we can learn from them. I pray, God, that uh, you would reveal what you want uh, us to know from 1 Samuel chapter 23. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 1 Samuel chapter 23, that's where we left off. Uh, so we're going to continue on the story of David's days as a fugitive as he's running away from Saul. And this chapter is uh, pretty interesting. If you look at the structure of this chapter... You'll, you'll notice that there, there are two different unexpected saviors. One of them appears in the beginning of the chapter, and then the other one appears at the end of the chapter. And the first unexpected savior is David and his men. And the second unexpected savior is the Philistine army. And so also structurally speaking, if you look at this structurally, you'll, you'll also notice that there are two acts of faithlessness toward David. The first act of faithlessness is at the beginning. The second is towards the end. And this first act of faithlessness is committed by the people of Keilah. And then we'll see the second act of faithlessness towards the end of the chapter committed by the people of Ziph. And then sandwiched in between those acts of faithlessness and those unexpected saviors, we're going to see God's faithfulness in verse 14. And we're also going to see the faithfulness of one of God's servants, Jonathan, in verse 16. So let's just start right into our text. Verse 1. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and robbing the threshing floors. And so we have a a map of where Keilah is just to give you kind of a reference. The body of water that you see there, that's the Dead Sea. And so west of that is Keilah. And Keilah was in in the lowlands on, on the western part of Judah. So it's really close to the Philistines, so the Philistines wouldn't have a problem of just kind of hopping over there and, and attacking. So, so they start stealing their provisions of grain from the town. And, and so what the Philistines were doing, they were, they were robbing the food supply of Keilah. So you don't have refrigerators back then. You don't have those types of things that keep food good. But grain keeps for a while. So, so here they have the grain that's going to last them while other kind of crops are kind of not as plentiful. And so the town of Keilah would be destitute for a long time if these grain provisions were taken from them. So this isn't kind of a light matter for them. This is pretty serious. Verse 2, Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So... David's men, they're they're just not too sure about this, right? Saul's already coming against us, and we're freaked out about that guy killing us off, and now you want us to to fight a Philistine army, and then what if this guy comes against us? And, you know, we we don't want to do that. Verse 4, Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. There are a couple important pieces of information here. 
We're told that Abiathar, you know, the, the only priest to survive that slaughter from Doeg that was ordered from Saul in the previous chapter, in chapter 22, he made it to David. He was kind of found sanctuary with David. And, and we're told that the ephod was with Abiathar. And so you're thinking, so what? Who cares about that stuff, right? What's the big deal about this priest making it and then this ephod being with that priest? Well, the, the ephod was this priestly garment that had a, a couple stones in it called the urim and the thumim. And you, you can read about that more in Exodus chapter 28, and we've talked about it before, but you can read it on your own. And so this urim and this thumim would give these yes and no answers when the high priest would inquire of God just these whatever questions that they had. And, and the priest was the one appointed to use this ephod and, and these stones. And since Abiathar was with David, and he's the one that had the ephod, David could inquire of the Lord some answers that he wanted from some questions that he had, and God would give this answer through the ephod, through his priest Abiathar, the only one that survived. Which tells us that David heard from the Lord in verses 2 and 4. That's how he knew. He had this ability to inquire about it because he had Abiathar with him. He had the ephod with him. And it was through Abiathar and the ephod that David was receiving these directions from God. And so this was something that was really invaluable because this is something that Saul did not have. And Saul had it once before, but he, he drove it out because of his disobedience, because of not wanting to submit to God. And so he lost this access to God uh, through his appointed priest. In fact, he killed all of them, except for Abiathar. And so he lost this chance to use the ephod as well, because he killed the appointed priest that could kind of use this ephod. Verse 7, Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. So you see that Saul knew that if David stayed in Keilah, there, there's nowhere to run because once he's inside, this is a fortified city. It's a walled city. There's nowhere to go. Once we were there, we got him. Verse 9, David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. So as we said, Keilah was a fortified town. It was a walled town with gates and bars. So, so when David heard this answer from God, he took off. Right? He wasn't going to wait around and, and get trapped in this fortified city. So they just took off. And yes, the people of Keilah, they are grateful to David. I mean, he just saved them, right? He, they are grateful to him. They didn't expect David to come to save them. Right? He was an unexpected Savior. They, they had no idea that it was David who was going to come to the rescue. The expected Savior would actually be the king. The king is who they would be expecting, right? He was charged to defend the land. He was charged to defend his people. And the king was the one who, who they were probably expecting to come to Keilah's aid but Saul never did. 
And rather, it was this fugitive. This fugitive David and his motley crew of of guys that came to the rescue of the people. So totally unexpected. And yes, the people of Keilah, they they are grateful, they are thankful, but but here we see the faithlessness of the people of Keilah, where, where we see the faithlessness of humans. And if we look at it from a human perspective, this is understandable, isn't it? I'm sure the the people of Keilah, they they knew how Saul was like. They knew how their king was like. And I'm sure they heard of the slaughter of the priest at Nob. They knew that they got wiped out. There was a massacre simply for David just having an apparent association. Not even like a real tangible association. Just an apparent one. And he, he wiped them all out. He massacred them. So how much more of a slaughter would Saul unleash on Keilah for actually coming to the aid of them? He would wipe them out. And besides, you know, Saul didn't even come to their aid when the Philistines attacked, so he must not think much about them anyway. Right? Like, well, it's just Keilah. Big deal. So how much more would he, like, just give them his wrath? He doesn't even care about these guys. And he's willing to wipe out an entire priestly line for an apparent association. How much more to these people at Keilah? So he didn't care. He didn't care. So the people of Keilah, yeah, they are faithless, but yeah, we can understand that, right? And they're lacking courage, but we can understand that. They can't defend themselves against the Philistines. They can't defend themselves against the king. It's, it's understandable. But it's something that we'd probably be just like if we were faced with similar circumstances. And so, yes, they were thankful to David for saving them. They were grateful. But, but God told David through Abiathar, the appointed priest, that the people of Keilah will give him up to Saul, even though he just saved them. And David knew this because he and his men had this access to God through Abiathar, through the ephod, and it was reflected by God speaking through those instruments that he appointed. And here's where the second unexpected Savior starts right here. It's in Ziph, and we have a map of that as well. And Ziph is a part of Judah. And this is where the second unexpected Savior, it's the Philistine army that comes to the rescue of David. And where David will experience this faithlessness towards him by the people of Ziph at the end of the chapter. But, but before we get into that story, we have this kind of filling. To me, the best part of like a sandwich is the middle, not the bread. It's not because I'm anti-carbs. I just like the middle better. And so this next section, verses 14 through 18, is the meat of this chapter, right? And I'd like to focus on, on this part of the chapter and, and what I think is the main point of this chapter. How God provides encouragement to us even though we, we can be surrounded, right? These high-carb things, by the faithlessness of people and how God is at, at the core, how God is faithful and how, how God provides us with faithful people at the core even though we can be surrounded by faithless people in troubling circumstances. And so, can you imagine how David would feel um, if after experiencing this faithlessness from the people he just rescued at Keilah, and then if he just goes right into this faithless act of the people at Ziph, what that would do to his psyche, what that would do to him emotionally. You know, these back-to-back acts of faithlessness without any encouragement, just people kind of slamming against him when he's trying to do the right thing. But you see, God knows what we need. 
He knows what we need, when we need it. God knew that David needed in between these two acts of faithlessness that God provided and interjected this encouragement to David. Verse 14, And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. And here we see the faithfulness of God. Even though the people of Keilah were found to be faithless towards David, who rescued them. And that even though David is dealt in such a treacherous way that God provided David with divine guidance. Divine guidance. And this is the main point of this chapter. That God provides. God provides direction, protection, guidance. And now you contrast that with Saul. You contrast David with Saul. And you remember that Saul once had direction from God, didn't he? He had that before, but the Lord departed from him. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. And so the Lord departed from Saul because he wasn't obedient to God. He wasn't in submission to God. He didn't want God to be God. He wanted God to serve him rather than him serving God. And in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 15, Saul has this conversation with Samuel. I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. So we see the contrast in that David has divine guidance. He has a divine direction that David has God in the midst of trials, while Saul does not. Saul has lost that. And so some of you may be thinking, I don't have an ephod. Right? God doesn't speak to me in such a direct way. How does this pertain to me? Maybe so. But there's something to keep in mind here in between what David had and, and what we have. Do you notice how it was that David got divine guidance? How, how did David have access to God? How did David have access to God's will? Do you notice something here? David had an appointed priest, right? It was through God's appointed priest, Abiathar. Abiathar was the priest, and he was the one who could ask for guidance for God. He's the one that could intercede and, and seek direction and guidance from God. Now, isn't that fascinating? It's really fascinating. Because David had this access to God's divine guidance through an appointed priest. And this should be really encouraging to us because don't we have an appointed high priest? Book of Hebrews? Right? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16 is awesome. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access to God through an appointed priest. Just like David did. We have a high priest. Jesus, the greatest high priest to ever live. 
we have a great high priest who, who in all of our times of trouble, we, we have access to God. We have access to God's will. We have access to direction and guidance from God. We have a, a high priest who is the greatest of all high priests, who is greater than Abiathar. Now that means something, doesn't it? In your times of trial, you have a high priest to provide you guidance, to provide you direction. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access to God. We have access to His will through our appointed high priest, Jesus. We we have this divine access through Jesus. Verse 15, back in 1 Samuel. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul my father also knows this. I think we have a map of Horish as well. And so here we see the, the faithfulness of David's friend Jonathan. Right? In the middle of, of these faithless acts of, of these people, Keilah, and, and then at the end in, in Ziph, and now Ziph is, is about 30 miles south of Jerusalem. And it's in the wilderness. And, and this is where God provided encouragement to David through Jonathan. And so Jonathan went to David at Horish. And Horish just means wooded area. And Jonathan strengthened David's hand in God. That's really important. right? First we saw the divine guidance, the divine direction. And now we see a divine encouragement. And this is something that we can all do as well. We can strengthen others' relationships with God. We can strengthen their hand in God, just like Jonathan did for David. And so just how did Jonathan do this? What did he do? Well, Jonathan pointed David back to the promise of God. Right? God gave David this promise, right? Verse 17, You shall be king over Israel. God's promise. And he reminds him, Of that, right? This was God's promise to you, man. You're okay. And and so we see how Jonathan pointed David back to God's promises. And that's something for us to learn from. That when we're encouraging people, that we we point them back to God's promises. That when when people need to be strengthened in the Lord, when, when they need to be encouraged, that we don't just give them a bunch of our opinions and a bunch of our counsel and just like a pat on the back and just like little hugs and little soft, feely things. Um, but we point them to God's promises. Right? Divine encouragement comes to the people of God from the Word of God. And if we want to encourage people in the Lord, we don't just empathize. We don't just sympathize. Right? We need to point them to the Word of God. We need to point them to the promises of God. So we need to know God's Word. We need to look at God's Word. We need to study God's Word so that we can be able to do this. Because if you don't know it, how are you going to do it? And I'm, not, and I'm not saying that we don't empathize. And I'm not saying that we don't sympathize. Because I hate that. I've gone to counseling before with some pastors and all they do is they open the Word and they just start throwing Bible verses at me. But don't you care? Like I'm going through this stuff and you're just throwing words at me. 
So we do need to empathize. We do need to sympathize. We do need to do those things. I'm not saying that in our encouragement and counsel that all we do is is quote Bible verses and throw them out there without any empathy or sympathy. What I want to address is that I think this is something that we struggle with more so, is that we struggle with just wanting to be there for people. That we just want to be the listening ear or the shoulder to cry on or, or the arm around them and, and be all nice and cuddly and, and, and be, you know, empathize and sympathize. But then we, we don't give them what they really, really need ultimately. Right? We, we, yes, our presence is very important. There is a ministry in presence. There definitely is. In hospital visits, that's a big thing. Right? In people's times of need, that's a big thing. Just simply that you're there. But that's not all that is needed. God is needed. God needs to be injected into distressful, troubling, dark situations. Not us. We're just tools, right? God needs to be brought into the situation. Not, not just us. God uses us. But ultimately, it's God that's needed in there. Not us. So now back to Jonathan and David. Verse 18, And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and, and Jonathan went home. And so, so this is the last time that the best friends see each other alive. This is the parting moment. This was it. And we, and we don't read that it was Jonathan's presence that strengthened the Lord, do we? We don't read that it was, it was Jonathan's words or his touch or whatever or, or things that we kind of attribute to counselors or therapists. That wasn't what David ultimately needed. That isn't what people ultimately need. People ultimately need God. They need God in their lives. And, and Jonathan accomplished his mission in that he strengthened David's hand in God by reminding David of God's promise to him. And before this, we, we had the, the, the faithlessness of those in Keilah. And then after this, we're going to have this faithlessness of the people of Ziph. But right in the middle, right in the core, right here, we're, we're reminded of God's faithfulness, of God's promise. And it seems that, this, that the ratio in life is that, that we experience a lot more discouragement. Right? David experiences at the front end and at the back end. And, and, it's, and it's practically speaking for our personal lives as well that, that we get to experience so much more discouragement. I don't know if it's true for you, but it's true for me. So much more discouragement in our life. Just all around it. But at the core, I have God. I have His encouragement, His divine encouragement that just sustains me so much more because it's divine. It's not people. So when everything else around me just seems like crushing me in, it's like, I've got the Lord. And I have His promises to me. I have have His Word to me. I know what is truth. And so some of you may be thinking, but I don't have a Jonathan in in my life that will come over and strengthen my hand in the Lord and remind me of the promises of God. I don't have that. I would challenge you that if you are a Christian, that you do. You do. You have the one who is a greater friend than Jonathan. One who will strengthen your hand in God and divinely encourage you. Right? You have a friend greater than Jonathan if you are a Christian. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote about this. Verse 16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. 
but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Right? We, we have the friendship of Jesus. If we accept Him as our Lord, if we accept Him to be our friend, and so our divine encouragement will come from Jesus as our friend, who is greater than Jonathan, who is greater than Abiathar as a high priest. And we know that God will not give us more than we can handle, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And just when we think things are just too much for us to bear, when we, when, when we do good things for people and in return for those good things, we, we get these acts of faithlessness towards us even though we, we've pulled them out of a mess, we've helped them out in a time of trouble, and they just hurt us. And they betray us. And we just keep getting hurt by people. But in the core, God is faithful. And God does provide faithful people. And sometimes it's right in the middle like it was for David. Where God's encouragement was right in between these acts of of faithlessness from Keilah and from Ziph. And other times we just get hammered in waves, right? Just discouragement after discouragement after discouragement. And it just keeps happening until... Something pops up and we are encouraged by God. Right? But, but Jesus is always the faithful friend. Always the faithful friend. Verse 19, 1 Samuel. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gabeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horish on the hill of Hakila? We have a map of that also, which is south of Jeshimon. Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. So here's the second group of faithless folks, the Ziphites. They go to Saul and they, and they tell, tell Saul that, hey, David's hanging out in our hood and we'll take you to him. So these guys are punks. And so verse 21, And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he is very cunning. See, therefore, I take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon. And we have a map of that. In the Arabah of the south of Jeshimon. So here in verses 19 through 24 is episode of human faithlessness. But this time it's the people of Ziph. And, and, and you see that David is just running from place to place. You see that? All those different places that we're mapping out for you. Up there on, on the geography there. That he's just, he's just running for his life. And he's taking around with him 600 people. It would be much easier if it was just him, wouldn't it? But he's, he's leading this group of 600 people. And Saul and his men went to seek him. Verse 25, And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. 
And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. En Gedi, one of my favorite places in the world. Just when Saul was going to nab David, just at that moment when he was going to capture David, Saul gets this word that the Philistines have attacked. And so you see this unexpected Savior, right? The, the Philistines came to the aid of David. They saved David. Totally unexpected, right? God is so unpredictable. His timing, who He uses, who, who you think would be your enemy, right? In the first few verses, that's who He fought against. Are the very ones to come to your aid and to your rescue? That's weird. That's ironic, right? But, but here we see the providence of God. How, how we see God's provision here. Everyone can be used of God, even the Philistines. Right? And this isn't like God saying, like, oh, they're so bad, I'm not going to use them. This is God. This is how God, He's so in control. He can use anybody, He can use anything. And to, to come to our aid in the last minute, just like He did for David, that's so typical, God, isn't it? He, man, that ticks me off. Right, to use these unexpected ways to, to, to pull us out of our mess. And I think He does this because it exercises our faith. Doesn't it? That you got to chug along and you got to be faithful. And then he'll, He pulls you out at the last minute. And, and it's also to show that He's really in control. Right? He, he's, he's there. He's, he's not panicking. There's no panic button with God. He's just like, oh, these guys are freaking out. Just have a little faith. Have a little faith. Okay, here you go. And so that's, that's just how he does it, right? So, so what can we take away from this chapter? I think we have to be grateful. I think we have to be thankful. And praise God for His ordinary means of grace. His ordinary means of grace. Providing us with, us with people in our lives. Providing us with, with His Word. Providing us with access to Him through prayer. Through providing us with a high priest and a friend in Jesus. And God provides us with divine guidance. right? Our high priest. He provides us with divine encouragement. Just like Jonathan. And He provides us with divine providence. Now what is providence? I hear providence. What is that? It's, it's God's creative ways of, of, of working to, to, to keep His people on their feet. Right? And, and I bet that, that many of us have these stories of providence in our lives. We can, we can be here all day probably sharing about God's providence in our lives. And it just didn't happen here in 1030 B.C. with David. Because sometimes I think we forget that this is real. That we think it's just story. No, this is, this is real. 1030 B.C., that's when it happened. Those places that we mentioned, I've been to all of them, they are real. And the archaeology proves it. Those places are real. But you know what? This stuff is happening right now in 2010, not just 1030 B.C. Right? It happens in our own lives. God's providence where, where God uses all sorts of ways to deliver us from our troubles, even our so-called enemies. And we can thank God for what has happened to us. But let us also thank God for what hasn't happened to us. Because can you imagine if God wasn't so providential? And so as we continue on Samuel, we'll notice that, that David's troubles, this, that's not the end of it. There are a lot more to come. 
Right? And, and God sustains him through it all. God sustained David. And God has given us access that, that, that provides us the same sustenance through Jesus, our high priest, our friend. And in our darkest times, we still have Jesus. I'd like to read that psalm that we read earlier today because I think it gives you a little bit more background now Now that we went through the story. And Elaine read that Psalm 54 and David wrote that in response to some of the events in this chapter. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a maskal of David, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth, for strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves, Selah. Verse 4. This is the summary of chapter 23 of 1 Samuel. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness Put an end to them. Verse 5. With a free will offering, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. Let's pray. God, we praise you and we thank you for providing us our high priest, Jesus, who, who allows us access to your divine guidance, who who provides us with encouragement. Thank you for providing us our faithful friend Jesus who, who just gives us divine encouragement when everything else around us seems to be pushing us down. And we thank you, God, for your divine providence. I pray, Lord, for those who do not know Jesus, who do not have a high priest, who, who cannot gain access to your divine guidance, who do not have access to divine encouragement so that when they're down that at the very core they don't have you there lord i pray for their heart and i pray for their mind to to be open to receive you and so if you don't know jesus to be your high priest if you don't know that he's the only one who's able to give you access to god as a high priest and access to divine guidance if you don't know jesus to be your faithful friend who, who will give you this divine encouragement when everything else around you, all the circumstances, all the people around you are against you. He will give you divine encouragement when everything around you fails you. I want to invite you to pray a prayer of faith with me. And this isn't a magic bullet. This isn't a formula or anything like that. This is just an initial step of faith. And the first one that we'll take together before a series of many others that we'll take afterwards. So just pray this with me in faith. Jesus, I want direction. I want encouragement. I want guidance from you. And I do have my doubts. I have my doubts about uh, your providence. But, but I ask in faith that you will be my Lord, that you will be my friend. And I am a sinner who is far from perfect. But you can make me white as snow before a holy God. You can make me a friend of God. You can give me access to God to give me guidance. So I pray in faith, Lord, that you would be my high priest and, and that I could receive access to God because of you, Jesus, and what you've done on the cross, dying for me so that I can have access to God. 
And if you prayed that prayer, I encourage you to just come and see me after the service, and I'd love to pray with you, and I'd love to talk with you. And if you have any other questions, that I, I would attempt to answer them. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd like to give you a Bible. And let's just talk about the next steps that you're to take. And so if you're kind of shy or whatever, I'm just intimidating, you can talk to other people or you can talk to me offline or online. Uh, email me, call me, if that's a decision you made. And, and, and don't wait because you're just going to let it flounder off and float away. If you made the decision, do it soon and let's talk soon. Okay? And our uh, worship team will lead us in worship. Also, this time is uh, for communion. Um, we have the elements in the aisle here and up front. Uh, we have the bread, a symbol of God's broken body. We have the grape juice there, a symbol of God's blood that was shed for you. And as you get things right with God and you get things right with people that you have problems with, I encourage you to come up and, and take those elements. And remember, God is your high priest. Jesus is your high priest. That that was shed for you so that he would give you access to God. You can have divine guidance and direction from him. Jesus is your friend who died for you, who provides you with divine encouragement. So as you reflect on those things, meditate upon those things, I pray uh, that you guys can come up and commune.